Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello to the listeners of the Victor Davis Hanson Show and welcome to the Friday edition where we do our news roundup for the week. We are podcasting on Thursday and the president has just given his State of the Union address. Ukraine is at war, China is on the sidelines and Iran is in the boilerplate. And we will get to these things and more after these messages. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back, Victor. I know I ask you how you're doing all the time, but this time I'm curious if you're up for all of this international discussion. I know that you seem, as I talk to you these days, to want to retreat to your Voltarian garden sometimes. <laughs> I do have a big garden. It's, a, it's an acre inside a wall I built and to wall off the world at one time in my life. But I'm very upbeat, not about the world scene, but we're going to expect a March rain tomorrow and the next day. I always believe in the last five years of March miracles. When I was growing up here, the rain and snow came in December and January. And we were all said it doesn't do that as much anymore, but it does come in March sometimes. And so we have, uh, we're very lucky. I should tell you, I've got a lot of emails, Sammy. People say, who is Sammy? And I've just sort of told them that you, not that I'm Rush Limbaugh, you're both snurdly, but you're sort of the snurdly producer to the show. And then at one point, you evolve beyond producing it to the interviewer. People say, well, why doesn't Sammy tell us who she is? And I said, well, Sammy, she's a fish that swims in a very progressive lake, and she wouldn't want to be devoured <laughs> by sharks. But she does have, she has a PhD in French intellectual history. She's taught a number of prep schools on the East Coast and in California. And that's she, the history. Of that's me. the yeah. history. I think then she'll and, remain obscure after that, huh? Yeah. Okay. Like a good so plan. let's go ahead. All right. So uh, let's start with the State of the Union, since that's what's just currently happened. And for me, I'll just tell you, and then you can elaborate on, it seemed like a cloud of promises and a sea of words and missed words and misspoken words. And he seemed to do two things in that. He suggested a reversal of the course on all things that the voters dislike about what he's doing. And then in all of his rigmarole about the Ukraine, it seemed to me that he was trying to suggest that America is leading with this scene here. And I, I get the feeling he just wants to be in with the winner because we'll talk about the Ukraine later, but it seems that we might be the winner if we are on the Ukrainian side. But those are the things I noticed in his speech. And so I'd like to hear more from you, Victor. Well, he didn't do what I think a lot of our listeners would have liked him to do, and that would be to top the German chancellor, Mr. Schultz, who essentially said in no uncertain terms that Germany had been wrong with their green agenda, that it was amoral because not only did they increase the price of heating fuels and transportation fuels, but they made the country dependent on an aggressive power like Vladimir Putin, and their dollars were fueling the weaponry that were killing Ukrainians, and they weren't going to do it anymore. And not only were they not going to do it anymore, they weren't going to get engaged in arguments with us about whether they made their 2% promises, a meager number, but nonetheless, the number they never would reach, and they persuaded others not to, to attain that promise. 
And so they just flipped. So did Finland and Sweden. You know, we thought Biden might come in and he might say, you know what? The past is the past. We are going to transition to green fuels. But if we rush that by cutting back development on the one million barrel a day at Anwar, or we don't get another million or two out of new federal leases, or we don't get a million in from Alberta through the Keystone Pipeline, and then we're going to have to beg, 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 and we're going to give more and more money, a billion dollars a day to Vladimir Putin. He gets richer every day. He's got more wherewithal, and we have less. So I am now announcing a radical change in U.S. energy policy. I am also uh, announcing a radical change in U.S. defense posture. It's important to have social justice everywhere in the country, especially in the Pentagon, but we don't have the resources. We don't have the resources to spend and obsess and fixate on equity, diversity, and inclusion or ferret out white rage or white supremacy. So we're going to emphasize battlefield readiness. And I can guarantee you we'll never have another Afghanistan. Well, that was kind of the stuff that you would want to hear. And instead, we didn't hear any of it. This war, we don't know much about. We've mentioned in the past that in the Middle East or in the Balkans or in Afghanistan or Iraq or Libya, it seems like it was a clarion call to independent journalists, New York Times, NPR, PBS, CBS. They were all flocking there. And they were in combat and we don't, they're not there. So we don't know what's going on. We have this iconic column that sits there of, you know, it's various labeled 20 to 40 miles, et cetera. And we want to know, well, why isn't it being blown up? And the answer apparently is that for all the talk of javelins, they hadn't gotten any until recently, except for those five or 600 that Trump sent them and which remember Biden did not. They did not. And that was what Kamala Harris said. They only, she said, they haven't invaded since Biden was vice president. Duh. So <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is that we hear seven, eight, 10. It's almost like an auction every day. 12,000 javelins, $200,000 apiece. The shells are 80,000. They're pouring in, but they're not pouring in enough to make a difference to blow up that column that is intending to circle Kiev. And it may happen as we speak. But it does show you that the Ukrainians should have been stockpiling this stuff in November and December and January, and we should have been airlifting it in mass, and we didn't. So that's something that you would thought that he would have said that. He would have said, this is a new Berlin airlift. He didn't say that. And what he also did say, Sammy, is that he had a little checklist, and he's, here, here's his mindset. Uh-oh, I'm facing a historical wipeout in November. Every single issue that I have, open border, critical race theory, inflation, high gas prices, Afghanistan is underwater. And me, Joe Biden, is no Bill Clinton. I can't feel anybody's pain. And more importantly, I'm not young, dashing, charismatic Barack Obama that can lift my unpopular issues out of the dumps in the way that Bill Clinton did in 1995 and Barack Obama did in 2011 after they were wiped out in the midterms. Instead, he's thinking to himself, oh my God, in my dotage, I'm a force multiplier of unpopularity of my policies. So what does he do? And he says, I'm also a captive. They won't let me out. The squad has me in a cage. So does Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth. They feed me little things through the bars, but I can't, I don't have any free will. That was the Faustian bargain I made. I wanted to be president. They got me the left-wing base support. I promised to turn over the president. They imprisoned me, and now I'm a doddering stooge, and I can't do anything. So what I can do is the following. I can go down a checklist. And we need a secure border. No details. And we need to be energy independent. And we're going to be forceful abroad and we're going to fund the police. Don't we're going to fund. That. The, yeah, that's a good point. We're going to fund the police after he himself said they were going to defund it and carjacking. I guess that might be a little different. That might be hmm, carjacking, smash and grab. It's getting into places like Atherton and the Stanford Shopping Center and Carmel, California and Malibu and Beverly Hills and the Upper West Side. Cambridge. This is getting out of hand, right? getting too close to the Biden family.
and my friends. So that that was the subtext of that. But I'm not going to just center him. I think the whole everybody, it's kind of a tired trope to say it's we don't need it anymore. But I wish they would just send out a little tweet with here's my campaign talking points for the midterms. And um, I don't have to talk to you because then you get this was the sorriest group of people behind him. I thought here is 79 year old Joe Biden that is non compos mente. Here is Kamala Harris, who I don't know what we call her, but she's compost mentes, but that's scarier that she is. It would be much better that she was non compost mentes because then when she has this little baby talk about the geography of Ukraine, we could say, well, she's just crazy, but she's serious. And she's looking on and she's kind of mouthing words when Joe loses his mind when he calls the Iranians. And by the way, Sammy, everybody says he said Iranians uh, for Ukrainians. And I politely protest because I went back and looked at his lips and played it. And he said the Uranians, as if they were people from the planet Uranus. So I think that's important. <laughs> But anyway, she corrected him. She, she, she mouthed Iranians. And I think that's very important because they have this strange relationship. Could I enter something here? Because yeah. nobody of all these commentators I've been watching or reading has said anything about Kamala Harris, who had the I am presidential look on her face the whole time and not the giggle pot look, you know, look or I think appearance. she's being I think she's so angry because. They have used her, and I'm not trying to outthink this, but I think a lot of our listeners are smarter than I am, and they've already figured it out, that she is our Spiro Agnew, that she was appointed to be a mediocrity as an insurance policy, that when you start to think that you want to get rid of Joe Biden because he doesn't know where he is, think back to people wanted to get rid of Richard Nixon, and they said, well, oh, no, it's Spiro Agnew. And <laughs> to get rid of him, remember what happened? Suddenly a federal attorney appeared out of nowhere and said, oh, by the way, I can remember when he was governor of uh, Maryland and he did a lot of bad things. Let's indict the SOB and get good old Jerry Ford in there. And when good old Jerry Ford was in there, they said, he's a good guy and we're getting rid of Nixon. And that's why he said, because he's saying to everybody, if you get rid of me, you've got Kamala Harris. And so they've given her a Susan Rice role. Not that I'm suggesting that they, they're racist or sexist and they pick on black women. But remember, Susan Rice is when they wanted somebody to go out there and lie, they being the Obama and Clinton administration and Biden, they didn't go out there. Lie about Benghazi, send out poor Susan Rice five times on the talk shows to swear that it was an impromptu riot and it had nothing to do with Al-Qaeda. And you want her to lie that all the WMD are gone in Syria? She will raise her hand and run out there and lie. And she did that on about five occasions. And that's what Kamala Harris is doing now. They put her out. You got a problem with the border, Camilla, go down there and lie and say the border is secure. You got a problem with NATO allies, you've never been to Europe, this is a good chance to get your first taste of Europe. Go over there and lie that everybody's on the same page. That's what she does. And I think she resents it. And so they're trying to both humiliate her and tell people, and but keep her on. They're saying, look at her. Every time she does that little swarmy school mom, this is Ukraine and this kind of in Europe, i.e. I think it's in Europe. And then there is Russia and it's bigger and they have a spat. And then that, the whole country is when they hear those clips, I mean, they're thinking, oh, my God, anybody but this woman. I would rather have Joe Biden and his dotage than her and her clarity. So that's what that was about. And then there was Nancy Pelosi. I, the Fox person, I guess it was, who was the one that said that she was a fly and she had her little hands as if they were fly insect type claws and she was Raymond, them. Raymond Arroyo. Oh, you watched that. So that's what he, yeah, that's what he, uh, that's what she was. She's had some kind of orthodontic work and uh, I think she's reaching the toxic level and there must be a level because I mean, botulism is a deadly disease that comes, you know, from certain types of food. And when you extract it and you keep injecting it to your face and you do it every day, <laughs> just being facetious, but there has to be a, like radiation, you get to a maximum Botox. And I think both Biden and she have hit it because yeah. it's affecting her. So her face, 
her mouth, her little fly hands. I didn't know what was going on. It was sort of like <laughs> her bragging during the lockdown that she's got $10 quart ice cream, pint ice cream in her $40,000 combo refrigerator. So that was who's running the government. I and mean, you looked at that and it was pretty scary. Yeah. Well, I, I just the thought, wow, them. after listening to it and thinking about it, I thought, wow, is this speech supposed to be memorable? And then I thought, well, there's none of, of them reasons. are, though, in his defense and Biden's defense. I mean, Trump would go on like, you know, he went on for an hour and a half and none of them should give it. They should if they're going to give it, just give it 20 minutes. And it's just a ritual now. It doesn't doesn't mean anything. Like the, one of the best things that Trump did, and he didn't get credit, was, and he did it for personal reasons. I know, rather than if they had loved him, he would have loved to have been at the White House correspondence dinner. But he kind of destroyed that by not going because he knew they were going to use it as an occasion to destroy him. But it was a complete celebrity-studded farce, satiricon, and nobody, nobody. I mean, it's it's gone. I think. Yeah. It can't be resurrected. Who wants to watch a bunch of celebrities and wannabe journalists that are unprofessional in their reportage go there and then pal around and be on television? Yeah. And then really- I went to one. I went to one. And I was teaching at the Naval Academy in 2003, and somebody called me and a good friend said, We have tickets. We have an extra one. You want to go? And I ended up right next to Robert Duvall. And that was the only reason I went because I looked at the seating chart. And I could ask him about his movie roles. (laughs) And then he was very funny. So that was a good thing. I love Lonesome Dove. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great series. He didn't like like me asking questions about that. Put it this way. He liked the first five. But I'm a fan of Westerns and particular Westerns. um, And he's been a great actor. All right, let's move on then. We've talked a little bit about the Ukraine because his speech was on the Ukraine, but I have some further questions beyond what we've said because I've said in an earlier podcast that it just seemed to me like good old-fashioned imperialism where you fight for more than you want and you settle for the less that you get. And it looks like now the cities are posing a little bit of a problem for Putin. And that's my sense. And what is yours on that? Well, let me just, if I can do it very quickly, I think, you know, there's this fancy word everybody uses, irredentism. It's from a, a Latin, but through Italian, a word. Irredentism means the unredeemed, land that is yours, you think. It's a psychological mechanism when a country is weak, insecure our people are, a leader can demagogue them into saying, we wouldn't be this way if we could recapture the old lands. And the big example, it's all come from the 20th century. And that was uh, the Megala idea. That was the Greek idea. Luther S. Venizelos and others said, you know what? We can recreate the Byzantine Empire after World War One. We fought on the right side. We got spoils in, from Bulgaria, Thrace. We have a land bridge all the way to Constantinople. We'll invade Asia Minor. We'll push back the Turk. The Ottomans are done for. The Turks are dis- and British and French diplomatic and military support will ensure. And then we'll have an Aegean Lake. And we'll have, you know, we have Crete, which is and we're going to have Cyprus, and it blew up in, outside of Ankara, and it was a disaster, and the Turks just savagely butchered Greeks. It was horrible. And then I lived on Asias Mikras, Asia Minor Street in Athens, and talked to people, and as I said before, all of these people in their 80s and 70s, this was in the, the 1970s, would tell me, oh, Mr. Hansen, do you understand that the archangel, I got to be careful because I mentioned this to Jack Fowler, and he bit my head off because I said, Mark, but Michael was going to come down. I think it was Michael to come down and marbleize the last emperor, Mr. Paleogolus, and take him away out of the sanctum of Santa Sophia. They believed that on Black Tuesday, 1453, they would come back again. But the point I'm making is this is very common. Mussolini, remember in the 1930s, he, he had Mar Nostrum, RC. And there was going to be a new Pax Romana. And anybody who spoke Italian, whether that was in Trieste or in the old, what we call Dalmatia or Albania, or even Greece, Corfu, Libya, 
Somalia. He was going to make this huge Mediterranean. Remember what he said? He said, I am being handcuffed. There's a, two handcuffs on the Italian future. One is Suez and one is Gibraltar. And we're locked in here. and We can't get out. So he built this huge Navy. And then all of a sudden the French Navy disappeared. The British had to destroy most of it after France collapsed. And he had the biggest Navy for a while. And it was going to be the new Roman Empire. And then there was Hitler. And Hitler said, in an irredentist fashion, anybody who spoke German, I don't care where they are. They can be in the Sudetenland of Czechoslovakia. They can be in East Prussia and Poland. This is what he called a historical mistake. They can be in the Alsace-Lorraine. They can be in the Volga River, way over there, you know, 1,500 miles in Russia. They are part of the new Third Reich, and I'm going to get them and bring them back. And Milosevic said, you know, in the 90s, there's going to be something like the 15th century empire, the great Serbia and Montenegro and Kosovo and Bosnia. Those Serbian populations are going to aggregate and we're going to create the grandeur of the past. And so this is what he's doing. He's saying, you know what? It's not just the Soviet Union. He's saying anywhere the Russian language is spoken, the Russian Orthodox Church is commonplace and Russian culture exists. I don't care whether it's in Georgia or Sasha, Eastern Ukraine, Western Ukraine, Crimea, I will recombine all of you into Mother Russia. And that's what he's doing. He has a rule though, Sammy. He says, if they are pumping oil, the United States, the Saudis, et cetera, and the oil price is low and I don't have a lot of revenues and they're not dependent on Russian oil, I don't move. If they don't have a president like Biden or Obama, somebody who's deterrent, unpredictable, scary, I don't move. If NATO is in disarray and Germany's telling everybody, you know what, we're not going to pay 2%, nobody else is going to pay 2%, the German public poll, as they do now, they would not mobilize, if asked, under Article 5 of the NATO Charter, and the United States defense budget has been cut, then they move. And that happened under George W. Bush, bogged down in Afghanistan and Iraq, and with high oil prices in 2008, with the meltdown on the horizon. That happened with Barack Obama, high oil prices, the apology tours, the hot mic, inviting the Russians in to the Middle East, you know, failing to sell weapons to Ukraine, Hillary Clinton's jacuzzi button reset. And it happened with Joe Biden telling people, please don't hack it. Oh, if you're going to hack, just don't hack those companies. Or please, Vladimir, pump oil. Or, you know, Afghanistan was a wonderful logistical success. That invites him in. And then when he comes in to finish this monologue, a rant, Sammy, he has a plan. And the plan, as we've seen in the first three or four days, is exactly what he did in Georgia and eastern Ukraine and Crimea. And it usually works. You go in with shock and awe missiles and you show and you have some artillery strikes and you come across the border and you have uh, commandos and everybody panic. Oh, my God, this is Vladimir Putin. And they fold. And then you have uh, irregulars or sympathizers, colluders are running around Kiev and they're, they're doing the and then the Kiev, the, the comic uh, president who was a comedian. He just folds and he said, Joe Biden, please give me a ride home. I got to get out. Of here. <laughs> and that's what he expected because it had worked. But then yeah. it didn't work because Zelensky turned out to be a Churchillian figure. And he said, I don't need American ride out. I need American weapons. And all of a sudden, he wouldn't quit. He was all around. His picture was all around the global media, but it was always from a different location. And Putin is in a bunker. I think he's on steroids. He looks moon-faced now. And everybody has suggested, Macron especially, but he's not well. I don't know if that's true. Yeah. But he's not crazy, is what I'm trying to say, because he has a backup plan. And we know what the backup plan is when this shock and awe doesn't work. He did it in Chechnya with Grozny. He says, if they didn't work, then just level the town. Get in the big artillery pieces, blast it to get bits, kill thousands of people, and then we will have a Carthaginian peace. We'll just come in with our armor and everybody will be dead or dazed and we'll say, you know what? 
this puppet we brought along, he's a mean SOB, and he's going to kill you unless you listen to what he's doing. The difference is he's got a country of 45 million people, and that's big. It's hard to do, but that's what he's trying to do right now. And Iran is watching this, and they're thinking, hmm, we're going to get this bomb in about a year. Should we use it against Israel? And China's going, well, wait a minute. We kind of wanted to see how this is going, because with Taiwan, and they're, and they're asking questions, Sammy. They're yeah. saying, will the Taiwanese fight like the Ukrainian? Is there a Zelensky somewhere in Taiwan? Will javelins and stingers be poured in, airdropped into Taiwan from Australia, South Korea, Japan, the United States? Will the Taiwanese fight like the Ukrainians? Will the world sanction us? Will our Chinese billionaires not be able to get in a yacht or use ATM? Will our 350,000 students be sent home? This doesn't look good. So they got their finger in the air and they're watching to see what happens with Ukraine as the Iranians are. And they want to know if the sanctions will work and they want to know if the weapons will get there in time. It's kind of like a world tragic performance on the stage. And we're looking now it's all been in reductionist fashion. It's down to a convoy for some reason. And the convoy sits there, tick, 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 tick. And the world says, yes, it's going to be destroyed with javelins. And then the world says, no, it's not going to be. Yes, there's a plane that's straight. No, I haven't seen any pictures of it. It's breaking up to circle around. No, it won't circle. And we don't know. We don't have enough information because I don't know what happened to journalists. They, maybe they're scared. Oh, they, yeah, they were very brave and they were very active and they were ubiquitous when it was a matter of the Steele dossier and Bruce and Nellie Orr and... The Mueller yes. bombshell investigations, but when it's a life and death situation of giving the West accurate information about Ukraine, they're just not, they're not there. What did you say before that they haven't left their Italian cappuccino cafes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think, I don't know. They, I don't know where they are. The people who are going to probably tell us are the independent journalists, you know, yeah. y- younger okay. people that don't have anything to lose and they don't have... PC editors, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Victor, let's take a moment for these messages, and then we'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back. And since you have introduced the idea of China, I wanted to go ahead and turn to China and their response. And a few things. I, you know, I really didn't watch the Olympics and feel like, well, given what China's done with COVID, why would anybody who's been in two years of lockdown, want to watch Olympics in in that country. Um, You could add the Uyghurs to that. But so I didn't notice them starting or passing. And now they are looking at, as you said, Putin, and they're trying to assess, but they've held, they're holding positions. For example, they're not part of any sanctioning of Putin. They claim, in fact, that they were unaware of an invasion plan. They abstained in a vote in the UN to reprimand Putin's invasion. And so I was wondering your thoughts on what are the Chinese up to with their current position? Remember the rumors that Joe Biden shared intelligence with the Chinese to arouse them or to win their support because he said, my God, the Russians are marshalling on the border of Ukraine. And they proverbially turned it right over to the Russians and said, I don't know what you're doing, but the Americans know more about what you're doing than you do. (laughs) So what they're doing is they're watching and they would very much like this thing to succeed. If they succeed, then China says, ah, (laughs) 
the Russians, we could be the head of the UN security in our rotating chair right when we take a Taiwan big deal. They won't kick you out. Putin's the head of the UN Security Council right now. And they're saying, you know what? It's a little messy, but in the financial think stuff bites. But in about a year from now, Putin will be the new Catherine the Great. He will say, I restored Ukraine, made it a little messy. I had to get a little, you know, not saying I didn't muss up my hair a little bit, but <laughs> I they're dead now and they're not going to come back. And I own Ukraine and I'm right on the border of four NATO countries and Germany will crawl back. Schroeder will come into my office and kind of slither under the doors. He does. Well, he can't. He's pretty big. Well, I don't know, come through the vent. And he will say, I'm back with Gazprom and I got the Germans back on board and they're ready to buy that natural gas. And that's what he thinks. That's And that's what the Chinese don't know yet. So the Chinese are saying, man, if, if it goes well, it's tolerable. We can take the financial hit and we have so much more leverage in the United States than the Russians do. Russians in the United States are portrayed as gap tooth tattooed, crazy, white rage, white supremacist, you know, czarist or something. They're the enemy of every single movie. Out of Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And they're always fighting some marginalized person, a black person, a Latino person, a beautiful, you know, Asian woman, a white muscular actor, an impressive black actor. But it's always this white supremacist awful country versus our multiracial multicultural sophisticated morally superior that's hollywood except we're told now that hollywood does kind of call out actors depending on their skin color because the chinese racist though they are don't like uh, darker skinned actors and hollywood is only too happy to comply with that apparently for the money involved then we have the nba Mr. Kerr, Steve Kerr, LeBron, you know, Chinese are no worse than we are. We have school shootings. They bump a few heads with the Wiggers, but, you know, they give us $5 billion too. So what I'm getting at is they look at all this and said, we are so much more leveraging America than the, than the Russians are. We have so many more joint ventures. We have so many more people. We have so many more students that they couldn't do to us what they're doing to the Russians. We own the world. We've got the money. And so that's not going to apply. And then they're looking at Taiwan, as I said earlier, and they're thinking, nah, we'll see what these Ukrainians will do. I don't know if the Taiwanese will fight like that. You know, they've got one of the lowest birth rates in the world and they're kind of fat and lazy. Their terms, not mine, don't mean fat physically, but fat on the land. And it's a long way from America. They don't have a land border. They have to bring it in by sea or airdrop. So And we're really Uh, unsure of America's commitment to them at this point, aren't we? We created Taiwan because after the Mao revolution, we told the Soviet Union, do not move, do not let Mao, do not move on Taiwan. And that was a contentious issue in the 50s that almost brought us certain islands, you know, that Matsu was one of them that almost brought us into a nuclear confrontation. So we have historical ties with Taiwan. We have a much larger Taiwanese community in the United States from Taiwan and Hong Kong than we do Ukrainian even. So we'll see it's similar, but the Chinese Communist Party and the Iranian theocracy are both looking at this. The Iranians are saying, hmm, Sure, like to send a missile because it'll be like kind of like Ukraine. You, it'll be messy. They'll hit us back. We have, you know, we might lose 20 or 30 million people, but, you know, for the rest of our existence, this generation of Iranians will be saying these were the Persians, these were the Shia, these were the Iranians that said to the majority in the Middle East, the Sunnis, the Arabs, We were not scared. We alone took on the Zionist devil and we destroyed him. He doesn't exist anymore. That's what they're thinking. And they want to see what the reaction to the world. They wouldn't do anything if somebody said to them, you do that, we'll help nuke you or something. All the dogs a person has, you have dogs, I have dogs, everybody has dogs. And when one dog starts to fight and starts to lose, all these dogs that you thought were such purebred sweetheart dogs, they turn into 
dingoes or something or coyotes or wolves. They just jump in. And do they fight to protect the poor little dog on the bottom? No. They want to get their little bite and take off an ear or take off a paw and say, I did my, and that's the way Iran and that's the way China. So they're watching this tragic, you know, the whole world is a stage, as Aristotle said, or supposedly quoted. And these characters are now Ukraine and they're the protagonist and the antagonist are Putin. And yeah. the player, the orchestra is Ukraine, I guess, or the state <laughs> of Ukraine. Well, since you've in- introduced the idea of Iran, I would like to then turn to Iran and the reification of the Iranian nuclear deal, the one that started in 2015. And then, of course, Trump said it wasn't worth it at all and so walked away from it. But it seems to be that the key issues are the extent to which sanctions by the world will roll back from Iran itself, the uranium traces found at undeclared sites by the International Atomic Energy Agency. And this is a funny one, at least in the news. The sticking point is, will the United States stick to its side of the deal? And I thought that was funny because it seems like the Iranians never stick to their side of the deal. So why would they be worried, right? But will there ever be a deal in this Iranian nuclear quagmire? Well, the Iranians look at the deal that they had with the Obama administration in 2015. It was a treaty, and they knew it would never pass the two-thirds in the Senate, So, which I guess is down to 60. But they just said it wasn't a treaty, so they just changed the name and they rammed it through on a bare majority vote. But the Iranians look at it in two ways. They say, we do not want a messy proliferation pathway. If there's a Republican or a deterrent president, then we have to cheat, we have to lie, we hide things, and we want to get it out there because we never know where they're going to nuke us or have a Stutnex virus or do something. And it's going to be hard to do. When we have a progressive, we make this deal. We are all our gentlemen. We wear nice Western clothes. We meet them in Paris sometimes. John Kerry comes out of nowhere, da 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 da. And we were all smiles, were the happy face of the Ayatollahs, the westernized Iranian elite. And then they make a deal and then they just cheat. And the only sacrifice is that they're guaranteed that we will not take it out. And they guarantee they won't get the nuke on the watch of the person who made the deal. So if we go back on this deal, they will tell Joe Biden, as long as you're president, you will not be humiliated. But the next guy, we're going to have the nuke. And that's what they prefer. They wait a little bit. They act sober and judicious. And then they go, get going, get going, get going. And they're going to get a nuke. And it's tragic because there was no reason to go back into this. There was no nothing you were going to get out of it. And when you drop the sanctions... Think about this. They were flat broke. They barely survived COVID and the economy. I mean, the bottom dropped out of their oil market. The sanctions really hurt them. And now what are you going to do? You're going to allow them to sell oil when it's $110 a barrel. They're going to make a fortune. And where's that fortune going to do? It's going to go fund Hezbollah. It's going to fund Hamas. It's going to fund Nasrallah. It's going to fund Every thug in the new Shia crescent from Tehran all the way to the Israeli border and to the Mediterranean. And there was no need to do that. And then I don't know how to say it's almost spite this foreign policy, because we also had this Abrams Accord and we were right on the verge at major you know, the Kuwaitis, the Saudis, the Jordanians, once these people started to join, they were going to join and there was going to be a de facto the enemy of my enemy is my friend alliance between Israel and these Arab countries for a solid front against us. And Biden came in. I don't think he knew what he was doing, but Obama did. He wanted a Shia, Persian, Iranian crescent to balance the Arab Sunnis so that in his affinities were with the proverbial underdog, the Shias and the Persians. They were more revolutionary and romantic than the House of Saud, as far as Obama looked at it. But now we just destroyed that too. It gets back to this original theme, Sammy, if you're Joe Biden and somebody comes in on inauguration day and say, look, Joe, I hate the United States and I want you to destroy every blank, blank aspect of it. And you only have 13 months. 
Now, Joe Biden proved to be a genius, a maestro. He thought, hmm, I can destroy that border. And he did. It doesn't exist. People coming across as if they own it. No vaccination, no test. Then he said, I'll destroy the energy. I'll get 2 million barrels right off the top, gone. And people forgetting we were increasing. We would have been up to 14 or 15 million barrels. It was sustainable for 40 or 50 years. Anwar, federal leases, Keystone, get rid of that. And then somebody said, well, that's not enough. That can't hurt America. Why don't you start calling everybody who's white in the military who dies at, you know, white males twice their percentages in the population, call them supremacists, ferret them out, say they should read Professor Kendi's book, divide the country in half, defund the police. That'll help. Then just fold like a tent in Afghanistan, turn over that stupid $1 billion embassy, that $400 million refit at Bagram, get rid of the $80 billion in weapons, turn them over to terrorists, run, don't care whether you lose 13, and then destroy deterrence. And maybe you'll get a war with uh, Russia or you might get a war. That's what I'm thinking. That's what he did. And now we're stuck with seven and print money and modern monetary theory. The more money you print, better off everybody is. People who have a passbook account. They got that money through unsavory means. They don't deserve it. They need to spread the wealth. So with zero interest and 7.5 inflation, they're going to lose their passbook at 7.5% a year and give money for people to stay home and inflate and people who deserve money but don't have it will get it. And that's where we are. He's, it's almost a systemic assault on the country, economically, military, politically, culturally. And it's all been in 13 months. And then when I hear people, I mean, there was, I won't mention his name. There was a Fox person said, well, that State of the Union was pretty fine talk. I thought, oh, my God. And then I heard that Van Jones, oh, man, this was inspirational. I thought, wow, Jeff Bezos gave you $100 million. You don't have to lie like that. You can do anything you want. It's very depressing where we are now. And we're just starting. This has all been like a tsunami the last 13 months. But we haven't felt the full effect and the synergy of energy destruction, foreign policy deterrence destruction, security at the border destruction, the currency destruction, the debt destruction, the racial relations destruction, it's all uh, magnifying. And I'd like to to hope and tell our listeners that, boy, if you're ever going to vote, vote in November because a 10 pickup in the House or two or three centers, is, even if it gives you a majority, is not going to do it. You need an overwhelming referendum. And beware that when Mark Zuckerberg gave $419 million last time, that was just penny ante this time. They're going to give a billion. Yeah. I get a sense these Democrats think that we're all fat and happy and that we could do with a little suffering and starvation. But I think they forget the people that are on the margins that aren't so fat and happy at this time. That The Democratic Party is wealthy people now. They're wealthy people. They don't care. Yeah, the prosperity of the nation is very important to those who are near and in poverty. And we do still have some of those. And they just really do not care. Well, I mean, he said to buy an electric vehicle. I was in Menlo Park two weeks ago. They all have Teslas, but they're what, 70 or 80,000? You have to wait a year. And then electricity is up to 26 cents a kilowatt. It's not that much cheaper. And so what he's basically saying is, I respond to the wealthy bicoastal wing of my party, and they're immune from any consequences of their ideology. So they want Stephen Chu, $9 a gallon gas, and they're going to get it if it continues, but they don't drive that much along the coast. They take either trains or their electric cars, and they want high electrical prices, and they have the money to pay it. They love high taxes. They have the income for that. They love prep schools, so no charter schools, no homeschooling for the hoi polloi. So that's how they think. And I don't know what's going to happen because gas was $6 this week in Los Angeles. I'm going to go up to Palo Alto on Monday. And when I left 10 days ago, it was $4.80, for regular. It's going to be maybe $6. And they're really destroying the ability of the American middle class to just get in a car and drive somewhere and have a nice vacation or come home and be cold and turn your natural gas thermostat up to 73 or something for the evening. 
they're destroying that. And there was no need to do it. There's no need to do it except spite. But Joe Biden won't feel that. I bet his pool is still heated. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. Where he loves to swim naked, naked. I was going to say. <laughs> naked and shock his Secret Service detail. Yeah. All right, Victor, let's take another minute for some messages, and then we'll be right back to talk a little bit about Germany and its role in Europe these days. So let's have a break. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's home equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome back. And so for last topic, I was wondering if you would speak a little. We always see Germany coming in here and there in our discussions, but we haven't really ever talked about Germany's position in Europe. And I know that it's the strongest country economically and so then very influential, but it has a strange role in Europe because it's so dependent on the energy from Russia. And I was wondering if you had some reflections on that. You know, I confess that I've been very hard on Germany. (laughs) I have. It's not out of any dislike of Germany or the people, but I understand that they, and I'll be blunt, they started three wars, 1870, 1914. I know somebody's going to get angry and give me some historical revisionist point. I understand that the French really egged them on, whatever, but they... They were at the heart of conflict in Europe, and they're angry. And there was, what, 18 million killed in World War I and 70 in World War II, and they feel terrible about that. Okay. And they disarmed, and they counted on the U.S. nuclear umbrella and NATO to protect them from themselves. Remember Lord Ismay's dictum, NATO shall be created to keep Russia out, America in, and Germany down. And they understand that they are a very capable, dynamic, industrious people, and they can't be kept down. And eventually, that prosperity and that security that they create within the boundaries of Germany has a natural tendency to be fortified by arms. And once you're fortified by arms, you get this irredentist idea that, you know, there was something called Alsace-Lorraine, there was something called Prussia. And, you know, much of Poland on Western Poland was German. A lot of parts of France were German. Austria was in the Anschluss. I get that. So all of that is is the historical background. But what gets me is that they shut down plants, nuclear plants. They shut down natural gas plants. And then they expect a cloudy, cold country to have solar and wind. And when they don't get it, They buy gas at a billion dollars a day from this thug, and then they lecture us on the morality of climate change, why they are pretty much financially responsible for egging him on in financial terms into Ukraine. And then they refuse to spend a measly 2% of their GDP on defense, even though they promised they would do it. And then they become advocates for other countries of the 30 nation membership also to say, well, if Germany's 80 million people and they've got the fifth biggest and fourth biggest economy in the world and they're not going to pay, why should I? And that's what they do. And then I look at the pew polls. I look at them, every international pew poll that comes out, that's one of the first things I look at. And it's just didn't start with Trump. It started, didn't start with Obama. It was already starting before that. But we're at a point now where about 55% of the Germans do not like Americans, or at least poll that they prefer Russians. 
And when they're asked in other polls within Germany, would you like to fight for Article 5, i.e. if Poland was attacked, would you go in there? 60% say no. How can you have an alliance with the largest financial power in the center of the alliance, which the alliance was created around, both to protect and to keep from hurting others? But how can you have that country being so angry at the protector of it, the United States that provides 30% of the entire budget and puts Germany under our nuclear umbrella. And then all of a sudden, when Ukraine happened, Merkel is now out. She was a disaster, whatever anybody wants to say. She was a total disaster. At the end, she shed her exoskeleton and she showed that underneath she was a communist moth. She was always an East German person and she had that status totalitarian mindset. And she did a lot of damage. I know that Obama thought he could charm her, but she hated Trump because from the day he got in office, he said, this is unsustainable that you people demand that we protect you and you don't pay even 2%. And yet you send money to Putin, who is the one arch enemy of the alliance. And you want me to protect you while you subsidize your enemy. And so that's where we were. And then I'm, I was mentioning the Pew polls and they're so negative. So when the new Chancellor Schultz gave this lecture the other day, and I basically, I don't want to go through it all, but I read it twice. And it's sort of, he didn't quite say it this way, but if I could extrapolate, it was, we were wrong on green energy. We were wrong on weakening NATO with not meeting our fair share. We're going to meet our fair share. We're going to urge other people to meet their fair share. We were wrong on that advocacy. We're going to rearm. We were wrong on that. We're going to give offensive weapons to Ukraine. We're, we're going to give them anybody we feel like. We were wrong on that too. And we're going to work with our American allies. I'm thinking, well, you just said something that you denied for 20 years. So you're basically saying that all those years when Obama said free riders, he was right. When Trump said that basically you're deadbeats, he was right. Because now you're admitting it. What were the last 20 years about? We tried to talk to you. And I'm glad they're back. And then now somebody's going to write me and say, Victor, they're back. Hi, Johnny. <laughs> back. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They, that's Jack Nicholson, I... Germany's back. And what that means is, <laughs> oh, my God, the Leopard tank is a pretty good tank. When are we going to have the jet version of the Focke-Wulf 190? And when is the Tiger tank in reincarnate? And, you know, where is the Guderian and where is the von Manstein in this country? Because they're there. And that's what people are going to say. But that's what I have a feeling of. I get the feeling that there's something stealthy going on there. They're sitting in the background, but they've got something brewing underneath that. German skin of their Well, we had some brilliant people who formed post-war NATO and Europe. I remember that. So if you look back at what went on there and the discussion between Truman at Potsdam and the British, Churchill and then Attlee, and then you look at a lot of the diplomatic moves, it was basically cut Germany in half. And that will stop a reemergent Prussian militarism. And that lasted until 89. And then when it was recombined, there was the other reality. And that other reality is that it was within NATO. And then the next reality is that it was in the EU. Now, all three of those things were deterrents from traditional German irredentism. And to use another word, I'm kind of infatuated with that word this morning. But they don't apply anymore because NATO has become basically Germany. The EU is basically Germany. What Germany says with NATO, they did. What the, Germany says with the EU, it does. And Germany is not divided, it's united. So there was one further bridal on German ambition, and that was two countries in NATO and two alone other than the United States are going to have nuclear weapons. And that's France and Britain, but not Germany. And that will be the great question in the next 20 years. When they say they're going to rearm and all of this, if they become nuclear, then we're back to 19th century Germany or early 20th century Germany. That's the one thing that, that survives of the people who created the post-war order. And that, as I said, the slogan, Russia out, American in Germany down. Yeah. Yeah. And so we now 
in this podcast, we've just reified that 1990s when they started talking about Germany reunited. Oh, no, we've got a monster on our hands. And they kind of stayed quiet until, who knows, until when. They're still a little bit quiet, but that monster may come out again. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> put it this way, if you were an ethnic reductionist, when I go to Florence and I have a cappuccino, the Italians have a two-hour lunch and they're very friendly. Same is true in Spain. When you go to the Netherlands, everybody, you know, they're one of the most capable people in the world. When you go to Britain, you just think, I thought Britain didn't work anymore. I thought that the British have lost their manners. I thought that it's, it's not. It still works. And then you go to Germany and you get this impression that Somewhere over there in Berlin are all of those Kurds and Turks, and they're ever going to be fully intermarried, assimilated, and integrated. And they lecture you on race, but you're never going to see a Susan Rice or a Condoleezza Rice as chancellor or national security advisor of Germany. And they keep talking about the United States or I don't know what bullies, but you go and talk to Germans at, you know, at restaurants and everything, and they're pretty rude. And I have a lot of Germans friends, so I don't I don't mean that as a stereotype. So I don't know. It's remember what Hitler said about you get, yeah. Remember what yeah. Hitler wrote about his crazy everybody should read Table Talk, the transcripts of his maniacal nighttime ramblings, but he was really worried about the United States. I know he said we were cowboys and that Guadarian with one division could stop the cowboys on the coast of France. But he also said, I'm very worried because the American army's got Germans and he would rant and say, it's the largest minority in the United States. And they're big strapping boys from our farms that, you know, they had six boys and they had no food and they were tough and they were hardened with poverty. And they went to the United States and they just took over the country. And now it's one of the tragedies of history that our Germans that are sophisticated and and have been acculturated and, and a little soft. Now they have to meet these American Germans storming on the beach that are six feet. I mean, he really went all into that. So he had a lot of crazy ideas, that's for yeah. sure. Well, Victor, I want to thank you for coming out of your garden for this hour to fill us with wisdom on international affairs. It's been a fascinating hour. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Victor, I forgot to say something. Go ahead. Sammy. You are the Martin and Nilly Anderson. I still am, I hope. Military History and Classics at the Hoover Never Institution. Never know. <laughs> and the Wayne and Marcia Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. And your website is victorhanson.com. So you can join us there. <laughs> Thank you. And yeah, I, always, I, I always say to everybody, nothing is forever. So I take a podcast very seriously. I take my column very seriously, books, Hoover. And I have the idea... I guess it's from farming when I, just to go on one last excursus, I had a Santa Rosa orchard, four acres. We really need the money. And my brother and I and cousin, we had pruned the whole thing ourselves. We had thinned it, fertilized it. It looked beautiful. We had what we used to call two by three by four, three by four Santa Rosas. They're almost like a small tennis ball. They were beautiful. And that year, that loan year, the price was about $14 a box. And on that little four acres, I looked at each tree. I thought, we're going to get about 800 boxes an acre. And that would be 3,000 boxes. We could make 30,000 since we did all the labor ourselves. We could walk away with $25,000. And I was already thinking, hmm, new Massey 265, a new Domri's uh, 10 foot disc. Hmm. I can get rid of that little stupid warp used pack tank that blows up on me every time I drive it. Mm, I can get rid of that old Oliver. I can get a, you know, Ford 5,000. I had all these ideas. And then it got right around. Bloom was wonderful. The bees did their job as we thought they'd do. It was cross-pollinated. It looked beautiful. We thinned it, as I said, and the plums were growing like crazy. It never, ever hails in late April and early May. Crop was going to be ready about June 15th. And all of a sudden, this big black cloud came over the San Joaquin Valley. In those days, they didn't have these guns that we have, these sonic guns that you shoot, you hear them, and they break up the hail and make it into salt, so to speak. But it started to hail. I drove around and I noticed that two miles from my house, it wasn't hailing. A mile from my house, it was starting to hail. At my house, it looked like I had mothballs coming down. 
And within 20 seconds, it shredded that entire orchard. It just destroyed it. And when it was all over, it was 20 minutes later, the wind had taken this freak storm out. It was sunny. We went out there and the leaves were on the ground. Half the fruit was on the ground. And 10 days later, what was not on the ground looked like it had the worst case of acne, each plum, and you couldn't sell it. And it destroyed the whole thing. And after that, I said, as long as I'm on this earth, I'm never going to count on anything, anything. Mm. And I could match that with raisin crops that were lost in 80 and and 82 and 79 and 78. So I said to myself, nothing is for sure. You can be fired. All of you should remember that. Tenure doesn't mean anything. Job security doesn't mean anything. There's nothing for real in this world. Somebody who doesn't like you or some lapse on your part, some human frailty that can come out in nemesis fashion. So you have to be get up every morning and enjoy the day and say, I live today, Wixie. And have moderate expectations. Yes. And don't ever let hubris land on your shoulder and incur or invite in nemesis because it'll come. So be humble and pay attention to every station in life. But I I have that idea. So when you said, oh, I forgot you're the, (laughs) I thought, "Hmm, are you trying to insinuate something that I have been fired today? And I had a call that I didn't answer. And and it's possible. It really is possible. I've said something. This podcast probably is not popular at Stanford. Yeah, well, I'm not in control of that. So I feel sure that you haven't been fired today. And with that, we'll have to say goodbye here. Okay, thank you. Yeah, this is Victor Davis Hansen and Sam Link, and we're signing off.